everybody, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we are discussing episode 519, But I'm a Gilmore. And every time I see this episode title, it reminds me of a meme, a very old meme from Twitter in 2014. I'm going way back here. You probably, maybe you'll, you'll recognize it just in general from pop culture. But remember that year on Big Brother, which I don't watch, but... <laughs> That was the year that Frankie Grande was on Big Brother. Oh my fuck. And he went from like obscure nobody to like, I'm actually Ariana Grande's brother. And it was and like, for you. like overnight, he became this like ridiculous sensate online sensation. And when he didn't win Big Brother, there was a meme that went around of like the winner being photographed. And then Frankie Grande was in the background and the caption was, but I'm America's favorite. So every time I see, but I'm a Gilmore, I hear, but I'm America's favorite. See, that's interesting because every time I see, but I'm a Gilmore, I think of the movie, but I'm a cheerleader. I've never seen that. You should watch it. I know. I should watch it. Maybe you should watch it for the next newsletter. Okay. Well, you already gave me another one. I'm going to add a whole list of it now. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I think of when I think, but I'm a Gilmore. And I think it's way more likely that maybe it's from there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I highly doubt, you know, considering <laughs> the Frankie Grande. No, no, not saying like it's obviously, but I'm a cheerleader over Frankie Grande because that happened in 2014. Yeah. I'm saying it's it's a pretty big like cult movie mm-hmm. that I'm sure Amy Sherman Palladino like was a follower of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this episode is, I like to divide this episode in two. Mm-hmm. There's the Rory Logan storyline, which is really heavy. And I think the storyline that the most is happening in. Yeah. And then there's the Lorelai Luke storyline with some Suki madness thrown in that I think is filler. So I have a bit of a hot take concerning this episode. Tell me. And it's completely my personal opinion. I don't necessarily think, you know, every like the show in general re- will reflect my opinion. Um, but I find at least from my perception when I'm watching Gilmore Girls and I reach this point in the show, um, like, and I think it really starts in this episode, like the show hits a bit of a creative downfall. And this is, I think this is like this beginning of the end for me in general, it does bounce back a bit in the first half of season six when Lorelai and Rory aren't speaking. And I find over time I've gained an appreciation for that storyline but especially like midway through season through season six, it's just it's dead, and you can see it's like going downhill. And I find this episode, episode nineteen of season five, is like the bookend of when that starts. Um. So I think that the this episode in particular is so I'm I'm kind of with you, but also kind of of a different opinion. Okay. So I'm kind of with you in the sense that I think. This is the episode where, at least for Rory, things start taking a turn. Yeah. In terms of, you know, her believing in herself and maybe doubting her abilities and um, and maybe her personality and who she is as a person, let's say. Yeah. Um, I also think that it's the beginning, maybe not the beginning, because we've seen over the last few episodes you know conversations between Lorelai and Rory that are more adult yeah um in nature and you know that are dealing with you know young adult things Mm -hmm. um and I think Lorelai is in a very weird place especially in this episode where you know she wants to be able to talk to her daughter like they did before but also knowing that her daughter is not a teenager anymore and is living on her own and has her own life and is becoming, um, you know, an adult essentially. <laughs> so I think I'm not going to say it's like the beginning of the end for them, mm-hmm. but I think that it's also the episode that is the most explicit in showing the divide between them at this point. Yeah. Um, because Lorelai's never really had to bite her tongue before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, And even when Rory didn't want to hear what she had to say, she always would say it anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, we see in this episode, Rory telling her, I don't want you to say anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's like, okay. And like, she's 
noshing on a pillow to keep from blurting something out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, whereas in the past, at least she would say what she wanted to say and Rory was forced to listen. Um, so yeah. I, get I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. But I, you know how I feel about the, well, maybe you don't, but you know, I feel differently than you about the whole storyline of them having a break and like not speaking. Um, I do, but I, you, you can agree that my perception of that has, has shifted over time. The last time absolutely, I, no, 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 I know. And I, and I know that you, you've also written an article yeah. about how season six of Gilmore Girls was not the shit show you remember. Yeah. It changed my, my whole, my whole opinion on it changed the last time I watched it. Yeah, so I would say season six, and I know maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I do believe that it starts here kind of in these last couple of episodes. Um, I would say season six is the reason people don't think it's a good season mm -hmm. is because it's all very internal. Yeah. Like there's a lot of struggle with who you are as a person, but who you are without your mother or your daughter in Lorelai's case. And having to come to terms with the differences between you two when you were so close. Like, it's all very, like, in a book, it would be an internal monologue. Yeah. <laughs> but that's very hard to translate on screen, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially for a show like Gilmore Girls that is known for its dialogue. And, you know, like, always being go, go, go. <laughs> That's a, yeah, that, that's a good point. And it's funny you're saying that. I think I've mentioned this before, but the very, like the first time that I watched the show all the way through, um, I, I had known that fans always thought season seven was the worst. And it was just in general, there was an attitude among TV journalists that, oh, season seven of Gilmore Girls sucks or wasn't its best. And I found my opinion for a long time was season seven wasn't that bad in comparison to season six. And what there was just a bunch of stuff that bothered me about season six for a very long time, which yeah. we'll unpack when we re, when we get there. Um, but, sin, but since watching it and growing up a bit since then, I, um, I definitely think season seven is the weakest for other reasons. And mm -hmm. the fact that Amy Sherman-Palladino and her husband were gone definitely reflected creatively but there is depth but that's the thing too and and I remember telling you this in the past as well that um like just because the pal the Sherman Paladinos were gone in season seven doesn't necessarily mean that there was a whole lot of creative spark and juice left in season six you know it's like it was dying out it would have been interesting to see how they would have handled season seven like it would have would it have just been an extension of the 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 drying up juices of season six yeah i often think about how it would have been different if they were still involved mm -hmm. um i feel robbed <laughs> um they gave us a year in the life but that doesn't that doesn't make up for season seven <laughs> no and i think um honestly i think by the time a year in the life came out so it was nine years later mm -hmm. they would have had to adapt to changing times as well yeah um they would have had to make changes they would have had to shift their mindset, I think. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, um, you know, and I think that's the, the 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 issue that I have with a lot of reboots in general. Um, I I'm I'm of the opinion that they should be seen as their own entities. Yeah. Um, instead of seen as extensions of the original show. Yeah, and that's um, that's one of many problems with. Reboot. Yeah, but I mean, in the context of Gilmore Girls, I think it's. I think people so wanted just to be back in Stars Hollow with these characters. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that season seven was so, I think the fact that Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino left so abruptly, mm -hmm. people were already like felt jilted in season seven. Yeah. Because people already felt like it wasn't as authentic as the other seasons. And I think that kind of tainted their view already of a year in the life because they were hoping for, some kind of closure <laughs> whereas it's been nine years we're obviously taking it in an entirely new direction you know? yeah it's been nine years but we had to make a closure for ourselves basically um but yeah i think i often think of how asp and her husband would have written season seven mm -hmm. and i kind of land on the same thing all the time of the the man who took over, whose name is escaping me now. 
Oh, oh, um, David Rosenthal. Yeah. He was their right hand on the show. Yeah. So I sometimes like to tell myself that it probably didn't stray so far from what they originally had planned, you know? No, I think, Um, yeah. I know we like to think that they did because we're like, what a mess. He ruined it. But I don't think it would have been that much more different, you know, if they had been involved. The, this, like their successor definitely worked under them before. So I think what was just lacking was their signature writing style. I think that, yeah, I think that I mean, no matter who else was writing it, could not be replicated. And I think it was just very obvious for a show like Gilmore Girls and for um, a creative like Amy Sherman Palladino, who just brings her own personal touch to everything that she's done. When you take that out of the equation, it's very obvious. Like you can try and keep the show on the road, which they did because they. They couldn't exactly, like, it was a successful show by that point. They could have just been like, okay, they're leaving, we're canceling the show. Like, the, the show was worth more to them than they were, obviously. So they kept it going. But it, especially when you know, when you've gotten to know the show as well as we have, um, and other fans have, obviously, you, you, you see the decline in quality just based on them not being there in season seven. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they tried really, really hard to bring that spark back in the later episodes of the season. Like they made um, Lauren Graham direct some and executive produce some. Which I might also, which I might add is kind of like, from what I've observed other actors saying, it's kind of a way of like the show and the network making a lead actress or actor kind of like like make, makes them feel a bit more comfortable and in control like maybe they might getting they might be feeling restless and like oh i've been you know is this not going my way like i'm doing this for so long but like hey want to try directing and it's like it's almost, it's almost like taking a shiny toy and waving it in a baby's face like oh you're crying oh look the, look at the baby toy like yeah i've noticed that throughout the years if you really pay attention every time a show is in decline mm-hmm. they'll get one of the actors to direct it's so funny you're saying that because the other night I was watching. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna laugh at me. I was watching on YouTube the actors on actors interview for Variety that I Ellen, love those. Why that Ellen, Ellen Pompeo did with Catherine Heigl. Well, that's why <laughs> you hate and you. Well, you don't hate you don't hate Catherine Heigl. You don't like Ellen Pompeo. I don't uh, like Ellen Pompeo. <laughs> she's like the epitome of white girl feminism. Well, for sure she is. But anyway. Um, and so she was just saying how she was talking about how in the later years of her run at Grey's Anatomy, they approached her about like, hey, want to direct? And it was that was it was at that point where she was just she said like she was starting to think like I think I've done all I can here like creatively as an as an artist and an actor like what else can I do? And that's when they're like, hey, want to direct? And so she said she had a really good experience the first time directing an episode, and then when she did a second one, they just kind of completely almost rewrote not rewrote but like you know the the powers that be kind of went, went, went with their own vision instead of hers and that then after that she's like you know what no I'm not it's not worth it so that's why yeah, you say like oh they made Lauren Graham a director I'm like oh that's probably not <laughs> that was yeah. probably them being like hey you know we get it you're frustrated this this is a, you mean this is a tough business you've been in this show for seven years want to try directing so I think in, in Lauren Graham's case, I think two things may have happened because she also contributed to the writing a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think probably, um, you know, but at that point, the CW had taken over. I think what happened was, A, they saw the numbers declining yeah, and knew that, for sure knew that it was because the writing wasn't up to par, standard, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think they probably thought to themselves, hey, Lauren Graham knows this character inside and out. She's been playing her for six years. She has a really close relationship with ASP. Maybe she'll be able to like reignite these scripts somehow, you know? Yeah. Because at that point, they weren't sure if they were going to renew it for season eight. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still contemplating a season eight at this point. And, you know, I think by the time the series finale aired i think the numbers were so abysmal that they're like absolutely not you know yeah um, and i think you can again we just we've discussed this before i don't know if it was on the podcast but you and i've definitely talked about this in terms of 
in in Lauren Graham's memoir, not her, not like the 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 first one that came out, talking as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. She like said how there was a lot of talk about like, is there gonna be a season eight? Like, and the actors only found out like later on, like they were even thinking like maybe we'll get a season eight of thirteen episodes to wrap things up. And I'm like, okay, but like clearly the story, like the story was ending in season seven. Like it just it felt like a as a viewer to me, even even in the poor creative state that it was in you could still tell like the show was coming to a close so that's why I was like why did they where did they think a season eight was going to take up after that like the show was over and obviously as actors it's more of a a business and a work and a, a job versus what like versus the viewer watching it so it's different but to me I'm like where would there have been a season eight in that <laughs> yeah it's also really confusing to me too because um Amy Sherman Palladino said on many occasions that she always envisioned the show ending with uh, Rory's college graduation. Yeah. Um, You know, whether she changed her mind over the years, who Mm -hmm. knows, but she said it more than once. So, and I think that's also a problem with starting. um, No, sorry. (laughs) I think it's also a problem when you have a show that involves teenagers. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's always a question of what do you do with these characters as they grow up? Yeah. Because it started very much as a preteen show. Yeah. And teenagers really flock to it and could see themselves in it. And And then they grew up with it, right? They grew up with it. But the problem is also like, it's harder than to keep that ideal character as they grow older and start to navigate the real world. <laughs> and especially for a show like Gilmore Girls, because you could argue like, oh, they did they did exactly that on shows like One Tree Hill or even Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like they went on Buffy, they were started in high school and we followed them through college. Like same thing, like they did on Gilmore Girls too, but it's like, you, yeah, you can grow with the character in high school to college is one thing, but once, you know, school age is, is, is done in over with it's difficult to keep the show going just based on the characters alone and when you grow up and like once kids who have watched them and been in school and been in the same age as the characters it's hard to then just it's like life doesn't go on a straight line after school's finished as you and I can both attest you know so it's like you can argue high school and college like oh it follows this pattern it follows this line um but then you know as far as a teen show is considered once that's finished where you know what happens and it's hard to script that so there's your answer yeah and there's a reason why a lot of teen shows you know start coming to the their end when the characters become adults right yeah. i'm thinking of the oc i'm thinking of one tree hill i'm thinking of um gossip girl like all these teen shows mm-hmm. just got terrible <laughs> when um characters were left on their own i guess <laughs> Yeah, and like that, that that kind of just proves the basis of the appeal rests in their teenageness, their teen, their yeah. teen years, like their uh, everything that's associated with being a teenager, all the angst, the emotion. Once you once that fades, like that fades with age, as everyone knows. So yeah. it's harder. Where's the drama? You know, like that's always the question. I think a lot of even even with Gilmore Girls, which is like a like a, like a dramedy, even I think there's always the question of where's the drama. You always have to find it somewhere. So yeah, they could have found it, but it would have been as interesting, especially with where season seven ended up. Probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> um. Okay, let's talk about the actual episode. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> let's do that. We went off on a tangent, but it's okay. Um. So. The, where were we? <laughs> where were we? So I don't know what you want to talk about first. We can talk about Lorelai Luke and get that out of the way because, like I said, filler. Or we can talk about Paris and Doyle. Or what do you want? Um, should we talk about being hungover? I mean, we can talk about that. So Rory wakes up on the bathroom floor and she's super hungover. Paris is hungover because she was at people in the streets. Yeah. Um, and Kirk, we learn, just got high off Abba Zabba's. <laughs> which by the way i work at a candy store and we sell abba's but <laughs> yeah but they're very hard to find elsewhere in canada and, and i'm assuming quebec in general 
every time I see them at work, I'm like, I think of that line of Kirk's. <laughs> yeah. So Kirk didn't get drunk. He just ate a lot of Abba's Abba's and he thinks he has a cavity. He has to stop uh, eating like this. Yeah. Congratulations, Kirk. Um, but yeah, like this is an example of Rory and Lorelai clearly being, well, Lorelai, sorry, Rory especially being a little bit more distant from her mother. You know, we all have those moments with our parents where we're like, I don't want to fucking hear it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, even though maybe you might be right, I don't want to hear it. I know, I don't want to hear it right now. Maybe, like, give me a minute. And I think this is a very obvious portrayal of make-believe hungover because yeah. the fact that they can hold, con- well, Paris maybe is not as much, but the fact that Rory can hold a conversation, like, wakes up, can walk without, like, holding her head in her hand. And, like, any person that I've seen hungover, then, like, that been that hungover, they're not, like, being able to talk or form sentences for a good few hours after waking up so yeah so part of me thinks it's like okay she's hung over she obviously doesn't want to talk about this right now mm-hmm. another part is like well she's clearly in probably embarrassed um maybe a little bit like upset with herself that she let a guy do this to her kind of thing picking up off the conversation we had last week or two weeks ago whatever it is mm-hmm. um and then the other part is like i just don't want to hear it from you right now <laughs> Yeah, because Lorelai, we know how Lorelai is. She's very much like I told you so, even though she doesn't really say I told you so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much what she's thinking. We all know it. Um, so yeah, she doesn't want to talk about it, which I completely understand. Sometimes I'm 30 years old, and I still don't want to hear my mother talking to me sometimes. Hmm. Um, and I'm sure you're the same way. So well, I think your mother more so now that you live on your own is like well, yeah. <laughs> wants to insert her two stands even more. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I think that's just what mothers do, but. As an adult or a young adult in Rory's case, you also have the option of saying no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Rory goes back to school mm-hmm. and goes to see Logan to yeah. tell him that she can't do casual dating anymore. Which like, okay, good for you. And- Which, yes, I actually really respect her in that moment. She's mm-hmm. like, clearly last night was awful. <laughs> I woke up on the bathroom floor. Um, and I, I kind of really like what she says. Like, I don't like who I am. Well, basically she says like, she doesn't like who she is when she's casually dating. Mm -hmm. Um, so my question to you is, cause Logan, Logan kind of tells her like, oh, I get it. I get what you're trying to do. You're giving me an ultimatum. Yeah. My question to you is, is this, do you think Rory's like, do you think Rory goes there with the intention of changing his mind or she really just goes there to end things? I think she goes there with the intent of making her intentions known. I don't think she goes there thinking the relationship is going to end. I think she expects to be chased after. So regardless of she's going, regardless if she, if she believes that he, his mind can be changed. I think what's on her radar in this moment is I'm going like, I don't like the way I feel right now and I don't want to feel this way anymore. So she's like setting a boundary for herself and she's going and she's saying like, listen, I'm not doing casual dating anymore. I don't think, I don't think she's thought beyond that. Like whether it's changing his mind or breaking up, she's just going, she's like, I'm putting me first and cool. But I, I don't think that's as like grown up and mature as we give her credit for. Cause to me, she is still kind of naive in this stage of a relationship with Logan. So I don't know. It's the same as like when they were playing games earlier in the season of like, what's casual? What's the definition of casual? And we couldn't figure it out because by their hanging out. Yeah. So yeah, I think to me, she's setting a boundary for herself and that's all well and good, but you have to do a little bit more than that. Yeah, um, so I don't know if she went there thinking, like, he's going to want her so much that he's going to say he wants to be her boyfriend. No. Um, which I think that's what Logan was getting at, you know? Mm. Um, I don't think that's that was the intention of going there. I really think that she woke up embarrassed, didn't like that part of her, and was like, if I don't break things off now, mm-hmm. now that I feel like this, um, like, it's probably just going to happen again. You know, I don't really think it was necessarily like if I don't break things off. I think it's more if I don't make a change. Yeah, 
But I mean, at that point, she says she doesn't want to do casual anymore, right? So that is the change. Yeah. Um, the change is not seeing him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he says, like, do you really want to stop seeing me? And she's like, well, no, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, I can kind of see your point of view too, where, where maybe she expects to be chased a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's also really on brand for her. She's always been chased. That's exactly it. Like there's never been a, she's never had a, a partner that hasn't fawned after her. Yeah. She's never had to do the chasing, which I also think is the difference in this relationship too. Mm -hmm. Um, like she had to make the first move. She had to call him up to hang out, whatever that means. (laughs) We still haven't established it. I'm never going to figure it out. (laughs) Never. We're not cool enough. Um, you know, she had to go to him and be like, we can't do this anymore. Like, be my boyfriend, whatever, you know? So I think that's also a little bit disconcerting for her. Like she doesn't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, And she's just trying to figure it out, you know? Um, So I think one thing that changed when I was watching this episode for analysis versus for pleasure, as we say, (laughs) um, one thing that changed a lot was I sympathize more with Logan in this episode versus Rory. And not to say that I sympathize a lot with Rory in the past, because as I mentioned, this episode is a bit of a, you know, beginning of the end in my, in my opinion. So I think it's very clear to the viewer why Logan has commitment issues, so to speak. And yes, don't think I I don't like, obviously the show is about Gilmore girls. So we care about Lorelai and Rory and Logan's just a supporting character, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think I could have done with more of like this is why Logan is the way he is versus like, but I'm a Gilmore. Yeah, I mean, so obviously, like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Um, but obviously, the show is called Gilmore Girls. Um, but yes, yeah, so at the beginning where they're kind of talking, and um, you know, he's like, "Fine, I'll be your boyfriend," whatever. Especially like, oh. considering, I have to add, not to cut you off, I just have to add that, especially considering how much of a dick. Logan was throughout most of season five it would have been very gratifying at least for me if not only just for me that they gave him a moment of like this is this is why he is the way he is not to justify it but it's like here's an insight into his life yeah I mean so the initial conversation where they're they're having and he's like no no I'll be your boyfriend you don't get that you're like all right he wants to change But then you get it later on when you see the disastrous dinner with her parent, with his parents, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, oh, okay, I kind of get it now. Like, just like, I like to equate it to, um, like, finally meeting Liz. Yes. Or getting some backstory on Liz. Mm. Remember we had that, like, the Oprah aha moment. <laughs> where we were like, well, obviously Jess is fucked up. Look, you know. Like, yeah. And then, but then, of course, they soften her character. And anyway. Yeah, but remember initially we were like, well, look, his mom doesn't want him to come home. His dad abandoned him. Like no one, we we said the same thing. We're like, obviously that doesn't justify his actions, but we can kind of see mm-hmm. where he's coming from. And that kind of, I guess, softens us or endears us to his character. Yeah. Um. So this was very much that episode for Logan where we get a lot of his home life and we're like, well, yeah, I'd kind of be fucked up too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm glad they gave him something at least. Um, but yeah, I also sympathize with him in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about where he says, I like trying new things. This is new and this is different. And I want to give it a go kind of thing. Like, okay. it's not a new ice cream flavor. No, especially. And that's what I mean when I say I sympathize with him, because I feel like there might have been other girls in the past who we, like had that inclination of, hey, I might want to stick around with this one. I might want to see where this goes longer than for fun and casual. And maybe he thought like, oh no, that'll just cause too much drama with my family. Let's not bother. And like, that's how he got got into this playboy kind of facade. So is it new? No, because he's been dating <laughs> long enough that he's been, he's had girlfriends that he's just not labeled them as such. I think yeah. in his head, he's like, let's try something new in terms of let's throw caution in the wind and, and like give the finger to my family. And that I can commend more so than like, oh, let's try something new and not be a piece of shit. Like, I don't think he was being a piece of shit on purpose, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think also for Logan, it's... So I don't think he goes into this relationship with the intention of, 
like being a dick. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I'm sure he's probably been quote unquote a boyfriend before, but never just labeled, never labeled it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think probably in his head, he's like, okay, fine. I'll be her boyfriend and whatever happens, happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think he wants to keep seeing her. And if this is the way he can get to keep seeing her, then great. He's going to do it. But probably in the back of his mind, he's like, you know, if it gets too much, I could always leave. You know, like, I think he's also trying to convince himself at this point. Yeah, that's why he looks so nervous when they arrive at the dinner. Yeah, I think so, too. Because I think in his mind, when he agreed, he was like, okay, it's just us, whatever. Nobody else, like, it's it's between us kind of thing. And now, like, I'm involving my sister. I'm involving my family, who's this crazy fucking, we'll get to that. But like, and now it's way more, it's involving way more people. And he somehow has to, I don't know, justify, I don't know if justify is the right word, but explain it, I guess. Yeah. Whereas before it's kind of just for him and he can always see where it goes, you know? Should we talk about the dinner now that we're on the topic? Yeah, let's talk about the dinner because, so, um, Honor, Logan's sister invites Logan and Rory to the house. She's announcing her engagement to her family. And going to into jo- the dinner, To Josh, who doesn't speak. So Josh has no lines. <laughs> he has one line, excuse me, in this episode. <laughs> Poor Josh. Um, but everyone... So Logan and Honor and Josh are under the impression that the family is not going to appro- approve of the engagement. Mm-hmm. So already everyone's going in very cautious. Um, but it turns out the relationship that they do not approve of is Logan and Rory. Yeah. And it's interesting to look back. And from the moment that Logan and Rory arrive and honor greets them at the door, and it's like, it's like Iceberg City. And it's like, there it was not Iceberg City for Josh because Josh has been around for three years. So says their mother. So right. it's not like it's. She was, she was not surprised. She's like, oh, I assumed you'd get engaged. You've been together for three years. Like, who cares? Yeah. Whereas, like, that's, and, like, that's what also gets me is that, you, do you view your daughter as a throwaway? Like, what, just because Lois? So, that's what I was going to say. Like, this is such a, this dinner in general is so archaic in its values. Yeah. Um, Because the reason they don't like Rory is because she wants to be, quote, unquote, a career woman. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, what is this, the 1950s? And I'm not even sure, entirely sure it has to do with the fact that, like, they're discounting the fact that she's a Gilmore. Like, yeah, what's the mother's name? Shira. Shira. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, even, like, Shira makes reference to, like, oh, it's not, it's not just about her mother. Like, okay, so maybe they had an issue with the fact that, you know, her grandparents were of good breeding, but then Lorelai fucked off. And it's had about a- breeding. Yeah, I know. But you like, know what I mean? She like, says, just... No, but I mean, Shira says that she's like, she wasn't bred for this. I'm like, she's not a lamb. Yeah. So I don't know if you're taught, like, obviously they are close with Richard and Emily. So they like, Richard and Emily are of, of acceptable society types. Whereas I'm guessing they don't associate Rory with them as closely because of Lorelai fucking off and having a child out of wedlock as a teenager. I don't know what the exactly what the link is, but to me, I think it has more to do with the fact that she wants to have a career than the fact that of where she comes from. Because I think in a perfect world, they could have made peace with the fact that, oh, like, yeah, her mom had her out of wedlock, but her grandparents are super. So I think they could have easily blocked Lorelai, if that was the you know the smudge on the perfect picture, if that's was that that if Lorelai was the problem, they could have easily you know pushed her in the into the background of a, of obscurity versus. I think it's the fact that oh she wants to have a career she's not she's not prepared for this kind of lifestyle yeah and what listen, lifestyle let's be is that yeah let's be honest they have no problem with her being a Gilmore um, no and that's what drives me nuts look I mean Gilmore. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you're a woman who has ambition. Like, wake up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because listen, they've already they're they're still friends with Richard and Emily, right? So there's it's clearly not a problem with the family. Um, yeah. and yeah, I think they would have been willing to overlook the fact that her mother had her out of woodlock if she didn't want a career. Um, but even the thing that his grandfather says is like, you need the right woman by your side when you're you know being amazing and running this company, you know. 
um you know the fact that they had that conversation in front of her yeah is crazy to me um like the fact that nobody spoke directly to her is also insane it's insane but it doesn't surprise me like like you like you said before like the 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 social values and norms of this dinner are archaic yeah you know on top of everything else we're talking about a maid hand delivers i'm guessing is a telegram saying that mitchell i think she just literally wrote like what he said on the phone oh okay i was thinking to myself like what is this a telegram sent over by a carrier pigeon like oh my god but even that like you know what century what century is this is this dinner taking place in so that's to me like it doesn't shock me that they're talking about rory who's a woman let's be honest like you know this is a clearly archaic misogynistic dinner so it doesn't surprise me that their mindset is of like, we're not going to even bother addressing the woman who's in the room that we're talking about because she's so irrelevant that this is a, this is like a moot point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, um, the, the set designer mm-hmm. and the, um, costume designer <laughs> did a really good job of capturing that, that feeling of what century is this? Yeah. Because this house is crazy insane. Mm-hmm. like there's a a vase on every little antique end table and like ornate artwork and like arches and you know like and like you said the the maid coming and bringing a hand delivering a note on a silver tray and then um even the way the grandfather speaks to the maid yeah like the soup is hot yeah no shit the soup is hot <laughs> you know <laughs> bring me a salad and then when she brings him a salad he's like go away like all of it like was making reference to I don't know like we said what century I don't know but it really placed you in this so that coupled with the conversation really transported you to a time where you're like I can't believe this is happening like what are we watching because even though in our minds it's like or when we're watching this is 2005 Mm -hmm. like you end up walking for lack of a better word walking away from that dinner thinking like what the fuck did i just watch yeah she wants a job so oh my god she's not good enough like babe we all need a job in this economy <laughs> well not if you're originally the huntsburgers i get it but i'm just saying like you know what i mean and that yeah. part of me is like obviously this is fiction so a lot of it is exaggerated but i'd love to know if people are actually still having these conversations like really rich and powerful families um and I'm sure they are, but it just baffles my mind that they are. Yeah, I mean, we can all agree that this is a bit more theatrical. Of course, yeah. But I mean, it just, and I'm I'm sure versions of this conversation still happen in yeah. like the top 1%, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is, you know, like the wealth gap is shrinking. No, not shrinking. The wealth gap is getting bigger, you know? So like, <laughs> I'm sure... I'm sure they still happen, but to me, it's just so such a foreign concept that like you can be that rich and powerful and think that highly of yourself that the fact that your son, who one day is going to inherit the company, is just first day of dating a girl who wants to be a journalist. You know what I mean? Like it's so crazy to me. And then when his mother is like, "Do you still speak to that Fallon girl?" and you're like, "Bitch, she's right there." No. Yeah. So also I wanted to say that, you know, the foyer mm-hmm. of the house. Yeah. I can't prove it because I haven't been able to find anything, but that is the exact room. I'm sure of it that remember in the princess diaries where Anne Hathaway's character is learning how to dance. Yes. That's the room. Yeah, for sure. It is. I'm sure of it. Yeah. And I can't find anything, but I'm <laughs> sure of it. No, you're there's probably like a 99% chance that yeah. it is. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure. Oh, never mind. I'm not gonna say that part. <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 sure it's the Genovian consulate. Yeah. Anyways, moving on. Um so Logan's like, we're not doing this, let's go, we're leaving, we're not having this conversation. And they run into his father at the door, mm. who doesn't seem to know what's going on. Um, has a completely different attitude. And my question to you is, do you think he knew that was going to happen? Or 
was he really not aware that it was going to happen, even though it may have been his feelings also? Mm. Do you think that they were going to ambush her at dinner? Like he knew that they were going to ambush her at dinner and be a part of that? Or because somehow in my mind, I'm like, he was purposefully late. Yeah. So I was going to actually ask you about that. But (laughs) since you asked me first, um, I think Mitchum is kind of an enigma in this case where I don't want to say he was purposely late, but it was like conveniently late. So I think he he definitely knew that his wife and is the grandfather is that his father or her father his father okay because like there was one moment where it's i maybe it's because they all call each other mom and whatever and dad and regardless of whose father it actually is yeah that's so, an in-law thing keep up yeah, it's stupid <laughs> um yeah just how like emily referred to gran as mom well my mom used to call my dad's mom mom that's weird anyway. even after he passed yeah i know i get it's a thing but anyway um what was I saying so I think he obviously knew Mitchum knew that his father and his wife were gonna be of that opinion towards Rory just based on the fact that she has career ambitions Uh, okay um I think maybe the conversation might have gone differently had he been there so yeah I don't think he was deliberately late I think you know it just so happens that he wasn't there when the conversation went down. I think it would have happened regardless how Mitchum would have spun the narrative. Had he been there would have also been interesting. Cause my question was going to be at the end of this episode, when Mitchum comes to see Rory in the newsroom at Yale and he offers her this internship at this new, not new, at this uh, newspaper that his company has just acquired and she thinks it's almost like hush money for how they treated her at dinner. And I don't really, I really don't know the exact intent at this point, the exact intention of Mitchum with the internship. I don't think it was to make up necessarily for how his family treat. Cause I, I don't feel like Mitchum has feelings. <laughs> so um, I don't think it was coming from a place of, Oh, I feel bad that my father and, wife attacked her at dinner i i don't think he cares that much about her you know so yeah i um so i've seen throughout the years a lot of people giving him a lot of credit and saying the whole thing was like he's a criminal mastermind kind of thing like yeah he he gave her the internship knowing full well he was going to tear her down at the end of it. Well, that's know? what Lorelai says. Lorelai makes him out to be the criminal. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's a lot of fans that really buy into that and think that Rory's demise can be traced back to this one moment. Oh, boy. Um, And these are, like, diehard Rory fans who, like, hate the fact that she she was off the straight and narrow kind of thing, for lack of a better term. <laughs> but, um, so, I see it as... So I think he was going to be late regardless because he strikes me as a type that's a workaholic and just hates his wife. Yeah. Um, and like couldn't be bothered to be there for his kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part, it was like, whatever. He was going to be re- late regardless. Um, and I think it was just convenient that th- he got them essentially. He knew that they were going to do his dirty work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think the conversation would have been that explicit if he was there. No. He strikes me from everything I've seen about him, like throughout the show, throughout the years, um, like in future episodes as well. He strikes me as a type of person who like is a subtle underminer. Yeah. So I think it would have been like kind of alluded to if he was there, but not so much as like, get rid of her. Like, so it's like in your face, you know what I mean? So I think... And then the the part where he offers her an internship, I see it differently. I see it as he, so I think he wants to stay on his son's good side. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, doesn't really care about Rory and probably knows his son well enough and thinks like, these two aren't going to last. Like he'll get bored of her in three weeks and I will have given her an internship and he will have remembered the fact that I was nice to this girl that he dated. Yeah. 
And like, this is very tentative on my part. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if the writers thought about it like this. Yeah. Like thought about it this deeply, you know, but for me, I'm with you. I don't think there was any big mastermind plot, whatever. I think probably he saw like how upset Logan was when he left and not that he cared that he was upset, but he was just like, well, I can maybe easily manipulate him if I'm on his good side. <laughs> yeah, I think it was definitely to get in Logan's good graces more than anything else. Oh, yeah. I don't think he gave a shit at that point about Rory. Like, who gives a fuck? You know? Yeah. And I was, and as you were, t- as you were talking, I was thinking, like, do, would there be some kind of fan theory about Mitchum giving her the internship to then tear her down as if to, like, make her, like, rip out her ambitions so that she'll become the perfect, uh, rich housewife for the Huntsburger heir, like I don't think. It's yeah, that- so I've seen <laughs> I've seen people like go all out with it, where they say um, that he told her she doesn't have it because then it would make and like hearing it from someone as powerful and as with the industry as him would have made her, you know, not want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then so at least then he can still pick like people go deep into this. At least then Logan can still pick the person he wants. But then they don't have the added complication of her wanting a job. <laughs> like people go like people are really, really in deep in this conspiracy. theory. Yeah, I really don't think. <laughs> no, really it's not that deep, Mitchum, guys. I don't think Mitchum cares that much about Roy or his son for that matter. Like, exactly. Yeah. I'm just like to me, it was more of a like, oh, my God, I need to. I need my son to take over this company mm-hmm. uh, eventually. And he, he will be more amenable if he remembers that, you know, hey, I kind of cared. I gave your girlfriend that internship, you know? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And other than that, I don't think he thought about that, that much, you guys. No, he really didn't. And we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave the uh, the rest of that for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about Logan and Rory at the end of the episode because they go back to her. There's like awkwardly walking out from the car in silence. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's obviously not in a good headspace. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think as much as you know, your family, you would kind of hope that they wouldn't do that in front of somebody. Yeah. Um, I think you kind of hope also that they wouldn't just be so, um, so even though he knows his family and knows how cold they can be, mm-hmm. I think you never really get over that. And I think part of you maybe hopes that they would take your feelings into account enough to control themselves, at least for one evening. Yeah. You know? Um, so I don't think even, I don't even think he's thinking about Rory at this point. Like, obviously, he thinks it's, it was shitty of them to do that to her. And I think he feels bad about it. Mm-hmm. But if it were me, in my head, I'd be like, how the, f- like, how could you do that to me? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. That's just my theory. That's how I think I would take it. Uh, I mean, he's obviously messed up and I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what makes me sympathize with him more more so than her because, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, okay, she went to a dinner at her boyfriend's house and they were rude, okay? That's not the end of the world versus, like, he's the one who's had to live with these these clearly garbage people his whole life. Yeah, and can I say, like, if they were that comfortable doing that in front of her um, and, like, completely disregarding her, um, like you said, he's had to live with them. I'm sure he's seen and heard everything at this point yeah and imagine if they can if they can do that to a guest imagine what they do their own children yeah (laughs) so like i'm sure for him it's also feeling like okay just another fucking crazy batshit crazy dinner at my mom's house you know so um you know i think like you said you have sympathy for logan in this episode yeah um I, i yeah i feel for him I really think it has less to do with it. I'm in Gilmore. I think it's, you know, it's not about you at this moment. Calm your, calm yourself. Calm your titties. <laughs> is what I know you wanted to say. Yeah. Should we talk about um, Luke taking over Suki's kitchen? 
yeah, let's do that. And very briefly, because, you know, it's not it's not an insanely good storyline. No, and it's it does have its funny moments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not like it's not it, like it moves the plot along. No. And I think if anything, it's um, OK, I'll, I'll say this like not with a much emphasis but it's kind of like luke's moment to shine in terms of like you know he's he owns a diner okay and he makes diner food but clearly if 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 pushed he can make a gourmet meal you know like maybe okay it's not up to suki standards or whatever but if anything this episode proves to me that maybe suki isn't as great a chef as she thinks she is like okay whoop-de-doo you're you to me i'm just like okay you're not the only person who can make this you know it's i think she i'm not gonna say she thinks highly of herself but i think she's kind of created her own little kingdom in stars hollow and at the end and even when at the independence end where it was like she's the this all-knowing power of culinary i don't know spirit and <laughs> she you know she just she's she knows everything and nobody touches it and I'm like, you have a whole kitchen staff for salads, desserts, and plate decorations? Like, what? Have you ever worked in a kitchen? And I'm sorry, a little small business like the Independence Inn can afford a full kitchen staff for that? Well, they have a man who just sits in the corner and you have to trunk- check his trunk before he leaves. Okay, well, you know what? That's com- It's a television show. I know it's fiction. But as someone who's worked in a, both small businesses and in a restaurant that was a small business, that's completely unrealistic. And, and in real life, there would be Suki and maybe one assistant if needed. Yeah, but I think like the goal of the Dragonfly was always to be more high end, mm-hmm. like a high end bed, and, not bed and breakfast, high end inn, excuse me. Yeah. So like, I think their strength was always Suki's cooking, you know? Yeah. Because you can also just go to the Dragonfly to eat. True. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But anyways, the, I mean, the and you, it, was, it was also a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like, but I think um, in Suki's, Suki's domain is the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I think um, being on bed rest is shitty. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think if you ask anyone who's been pregnant, being on bed rest is the worst mm-hmm. um, because you can't do anything. <laughs> and they're no. like, don't stress, like, especially like people who already have children. And they're like, don't stress, be on bed rest. And you're like, I have a toddler. at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think there is a certain just lack of control when a doctor tells you that the only thing you can do right now for your baby is to put your feet up and not do anything. Yeah. So I think the way it manifests itself as Suki is her wanting control back and where can she get control back the kitchen? Yeah. Uh, But it drives Luke up a wall, obviously as it would drive me up a wall. I think if the freaking ladles were disappearing and she's calling me every two seconds to ask me if I'm double straining the fucking sauce, like, I understand Luke's frustration for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do have to say I really enjoyed uh, Jackson yelling at Luke. <laughs> I mean, what did he do wrong? Nothing. He, you know. <laughs> no, I know, but I just think it's like such a fierce display of like backing your partner, <laughs> even when your partner's wrong. Even after they stole the golf cart to go back and forth to their Who house. Who gives a fuck? She owns that business. That's her golf cart, too. <laughs> fuck you. We often forget just because Sugi's in the kitchen that she's not part owner of the Dragonfly. Yeah, I know. That means you know, that because she's also a ditz and doesn't know anything about it. I mean, yeah. But, you know, she's 50% owner. Let her take the fucking cart. <laughs> um, I also just find it really hilarious how they made them both speak Spanish. That I brought, I made a note about that. Like Luke speaks Spanish, apparently. Like not just a uh, he can. Like suddenly, everyone in Connecticut is fluent in Spanish. <laughs> Connecticut, the whitest state. I mean, maybe like for I don't know. I think it. I think it's interesting that that Luke knew some Spanish because you know. Maybe... Yeah, but then I thought about it. I was like, Caesar speaks Spanish. Yeah, and they've been working together for a very long time, so maybe he picked it up from him. And. 
you know, Suki has worked in a kitchen staff with a kitchen staff for a long time. So she probably had employees who spoke Spanish and same thing. Scaring Pedro. <laughs> like I'd be fucking scared too, Pedro. Run. Yeah. Poor Pedro. <laughs> poor Pedro. Yeah. Um, you wanna briefly talk about Paris and Doyle? Yes. Cause Nanny reappears after apparently having very tragically left her family and the beginning or between seasons three and four. Yeah. I uh <laughs> so between seasons three and four, we we nanny leaves, whatever. Uh we find out. And then we also find out that Paris's family is like hiding their funds kind of thing <laughs> running from the law so they obviously well Paris is also grown now but they're obviously not paying nanny um rich people and their nannies is such an enigma to me <laughs> because like I've read now and seen a couple of movies or shows or whatever where like a nanny will follow you into adulthood Oh boy. Not like to nanny you, but like some as somebody you can call and like rely on and be essentially a parental figure. I mean, that doesn't surprise me, especially if if, if like your nanny has been more of a parent to you than your own parents. Right. But I think where it gets a little muddy sometimes is like this person was paid to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, obviously if you're raising a child and like parents are not really involved, you you're both gonna get attached. Yeah. Um but do you remember that scene in The Help where they're talking about um, how the mother was, the mother had a nanny to raise her daughter. And then when the daughter was old enough to have kids, like the nanny kind of passed down to her. Oh, meaning like the ma- like the maids, like... The maids, excuse me, yeah. Yeah, the... Um, the maids would, like, stay in the family. Yeah, the, like, the fa- like there was this, like, unspoken understanding that the, that the families owned them. Like, it was... Right. Like, yeah, one of the maids was, like, in her testimonial when she was, for the book in the movie, she was saying how, um, you know, she worked for... What was her name? The character was, like, Miss Jolie's mother. And uh, Miss Jolie's mother was a nice lady, blah, 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 blah. And then... Once she passed away, she put it in her will that she got to work for the daughter, and the daughter yeah. was a mean woman, mean for sport. And I've seen, I love the help, so I've seen it very many times. But um, very problematic, but yes, yeah. And that's the thing too is like I have to kind of check myself when I watch this. Like, what exactly about this do I love? And I understand that it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't it doesn't age well in the in the light of the Black My Black Lives Matter movement and, and like as a white savior narrative. I don't know. To me, I just find it's a it's a, a uh, like a, a good story about women. I don't really see it as anything else but that. But I understand that's problematic. We're not talking about the help anymore. <laughs> no, but what I wanted to say with that is like I've I've seen in in media many mm-hmm. examples of um, rich people. Yeah, thinking that these people that they hired owe them something. Mm-hmm like later on in life you know what well, I, mean? I think well i think it's different if you're going to compare it to the help because that took place in like segregation era america where no, but what i was trying to get through with that is like this this sense of entitlement of like yeah. you have to feel entitled to leave a person in your will <laughs> yeah and I, but i think that i think that's a bit different though is because it's i think the whole point of that uh you know element in the help was to illustrate that is slave has like have we come a, that much farther from slavery? Like I think so. I think it's a bit different when you when things like segregation come into play. But I get what you're saying in terms of like just regular old rich kids in this day and age whose nanny ages with them. I I kind of would like to believe that the nanny kind of just stick just sticks with them because they you know were so close in their form and during the child's formative years. That's like a third parent and. You know, yeah, but I mean, you also can't touch. deny the you also can't deny the fact that like these are usually like minorities. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in Canada we have a very fucked up system where you know you can like send for a nanny from the Philippines. True, I forgot about that. Yeah, so like I, 
So I don't know. The whole nanny issue is very icky to me. Yeah, especially with you know, like racial minorities and like a sense of ownership over their over their life. Yeah, and in this case, the reason I bring it up is because in this case, it's like it's it's not as if Paris is calling her nanny to be like, "Hey, I want to talk because I'm not feeling well, and can you do something for me?" This is like, "Hey, come take care of my boyfriend." Yeah, who's sick? This cis hetero white man. No, it's it's very problematic, especially later when Paris says like, "She had to do something." She's that woman never tires, like. I'm like, I'm sure she fucking tires Paris. She's a human being. Yeah. You know? So like, I think we also sometimes forget just because we love Paris so much that she does come from that world. Yeah. Especially like in the last episode when she's like, I forgot my parents don't own property in the United States anymore. Yeah. Oh, cool. I think I would remember. You know? Um, Yeah. So I think like, also I just have an issue with Doyle going over to Paris's house mm -hmm. because he wanted her to take care. He wanted her to take care of him. I think Number one, you're a grown ass man. Take care of yourself. It says it sets a dangerous precedent for their relationship. I find yes, but also like at this point, you haven't even committed to her. No, that's and a- you thought to go over to her house and have this person that you're casually dating take care of you. Yeah, and then falls in her bed for two days. Yeah, wasn't even there. And then so it makes me even more mad where Paris is like, "Oh, I'm I know I'm gonna call a woman who used to take care was paid to take care of me." In my youth, not to like, hey, nanny, let's catch up. Come take care of this man that I'm sleeping with. Yeah, like, you know, you're right. It's definitely. And then while you're here, clean my entire apartment. Yeah, especially like you said, like her parents are like, she's clearly not on her parents payroll anymore. Of course not, you know. And like, so that that's what I mean when there's like this sense of entitlement that like rich kids have. Whatever. Speaking of which, I, you know, since we're talking about the help, um, I was. Did you ever see the movie Goodbye, Christopher Robin? No. Okay. Well, you should. Well, it'll make you cry. But um, I definitely recommend that over the other remake that Disney did of Winnie, like a live action remake that Disney Disney did of Winnie the Pooh, just called Christopher Robin, which was absolute garbage. Do not watch that. This one's called Goodbye, Christopher Robin. It's the and it's more of a biopic of A. A. Milne and the story of how the Winnie the Pooh stories came to be. Um, and I like I like it. And I've watched it many, many times just because it's, I find, even though it's kind of a sad story, I find it just comforting and reminds me of childhood anyway. So, um, like, obviously, Christopher Robin had a nanny growing up, and he called her New, because as a kid, that's how he, like, he said her name, just called her New. Um, and so at the end of the movie, there's like a, you know, the typical pictures of the characters in real life and, you know, little captions about what happened afterwards. And um, it says, you know, Christopher Robin and New stayed close for the rest of her life until like she died. And to me, like this, the the movie makes you want to believe that, you know, they stayed close after even after he was grown and they, they, you know, kept in touch because his parents were so absent from his emotional, his, his emotional life, his uh, pretty much all kinds of all parts of his life. And like you it makes you want to believe that's that's why they stayed in touch but now that you've said that it's like do they feel a sense of entitlement just having been part of their formative years you know Also, can we talk about the fact like i think it goes kind of deeper i didn't mean to make this like a social justice episode (laughs) about the fact that they she only refers to her as nanny yeah no name like nanny has a name paris yeah like come on you know Anyways, whatever. I, I don't know. As I get older and the, I, I become more aware of the world and the injustices in the world, sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like I shouldn't have because it ruins certain things for me. But, you know, we, we have to question certain things. Yeah, it's true. Anyways, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about about this episode? Um, Let me just review my notes, even though I wasn't even looking at them for most of the episode. Um, I did have a note about Imagine naming your child Honor. Like, how bougie can you be? You name your child Honor. Super bougie. <laughs> um, no, I yeah. Think, I think that's it. I think we covered, covered do all. Do you think? No. Well, I was going to say, do you think they, they write it with a U? I don't think so. Mm, that's a good question. Because U is like... Canadian, the Canadian and British spelling. Canadian British. Whereas... I feel like, but I feel like the, the richer you are, the more letters you add to your child's name. Absolutely. 
So I wouldn't surprise me if they added the U. Um, like, do, do you, you know, know what the richest, like, bougiest name that I've ever heard? Tell me. Allegra. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. That's an allergy medication, sweetie. Don't name your child that. <laughs> yeah, Allegra. I heard that. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty bougie. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what Logan's grandfather's name is? I should. What is it? Elias. Yeah, that's and like let's be honest, Mitchum. Yeah, they're pretty uh I don't know if bougie is the right word, more like archaic. Let's go back to archaic. Yeah, money. <laughs> Comes from money. Anyways. But yeah. Um uh, that's it. Should I ask you where they can follow us? Are you gonna forget that No. <laughs> don't be asking me these questions. Um, they can follow us on tweeters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. You can email us, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to our email newsletter in which you'll receive um, something in your inbox uh, with every new podcast episode, a rundown of everything we're reading, watching, and listening to at the moment with some Gilmore trivia sprinkled in. You can subscribe to this newsletter at gilmoregirlspodcast.substack.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.